0: It's amazing how many times I have seen people with the right attitude, those kind of candidates will be more successful. They end up getting the job over somebody that's better qualified than them. I always look for somebody that shows a real interest in the role.
1: Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you create a more fulfilling career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I normally feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers. But since this is the first episode in year two of the podcast, today's conversation is all about helping you understand how to make the most of an important professional relationship that could open up the next chapter in your career. Today, my guest is gonna share his expert insights on how to work effectively with recruiters and headhunters during your career transition. We'll reveal a few misconceptions about recruitment and answer the most common questions I get asked about working with recruiters. Afterwards, I'll address a listener question about what tweaks you can make to improve your career satisfaction. Today, I'm speaking with Ben DeGrucci, the founder of eCruit and the director of the DG Partnership. With over 12 years of recruitment experience in the UK, Ben currently focuses on online sales recruitment and executive marketing recruitment in the consumer goods sector. His sales and marketing headhunting agency, JDag, which he co-founded, was successfully merged into the DG Partnership in March 2017 after growing the business from zero to one million in turnover and employing a staff of 10 people. The DG Partnership works exclusively in the consumer goods sector from middle to senior management levels and is proud to be a trusted advisor to clients including pepsico unilever and nestle now ben's a recruiter i've known and trusted for years both as a candidate and client and i really think his perspectives can help you gain an inside look into how to make the most of your professional relationships with recruiters if you want to learn more about ben or get a summary of today's conversation visit careerrelaunchnet relaunch.net episode 27 ben spoke with me from london england well hello ben and thanks so much for joining me here on career Relaunch.
0: Hi, Joseph. Hi. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So it's good to talk to you again. And I know we've got a lot to cover today. This episode is going to be a little bit different from what I normally do on the podcast because it's going to be a little bit more informational. But I'd love to start off by just having you tell us a little bit more about your background in recruitment. And I'd also be interested in hearing about what you're currently focused on as the founder of Ecruit and the director of the DG
0: partnership. I've been working in recruitment now for 10 years. I started off in an agency where I worked for a couple of years just to find my feet before setting up my own business. I was very young. I was 26, 27 years old and set up a recruitment agency at the beginning of the financial crisis, which was very (laughs) interesting. And that was focused on sales and marketing recruitment. And I just felt that working for a big, generous recruitment agency when all my clients were telling me they liked speaking to me because I was a specialist, I just worked in a very niche area, that there was a gap in the market. So we launched our business in 2007 and grew it for about 10 years. We recently rebranded to DG Partnership. And it's been an amazing ride. You know, We've always been specialists in our area, boutique agency, but we've managed to pick up. Some great clients like, you know, Pepsi and Unilever and Nestlé, who just like our straightforward approach that perhaps they didn't feel they were getting with some of their other agencies. That was the kind of classic recruitment side of my career. And you mentioned their eCruit, which is a new project we've been working on, which is there to help mainly SMEs actually. So small business owners who are looking to build their teams and perhaps don't have the financial budget to go and use a recruitment agency. So we've just got uh, a neat bit of kit that will help them recruit for about 95% less than uh, perhaps coming to somewhere like DG Partnership. So they're slightly different propositions designed to cover the whole market for our clients. Well, I definitely want to come back and talk
1: about eCruit because I think that's an interesting part of your career. Uh, And at the same time, I want to make sure that we make the most use of your time as an expert in the recruitment industry. So our main focus on this podcast, as you know, Ben, is career change. And whenever I speak with clients or audiences about job search strategies, this topic of recruiters always comes up. And I notice a lot of people out there aren't really sure where to start when it comes to working well with recruiters as a job candidate, which is a shame because recruiters can play a big role in your career, especially as you become more senior. And if you know how to work well with them, it can really open up a lot of doors, which is Definitely the experience I've had with you. So <laughs> let's dive into this and start off by talking about finding recruiters. How can people go about finding a recruiter to work with?
0: It depends really on, on what you do. You need to be really clear on what you're kind of looking for. Are you a freelancer? Are you looking for a permanent role? What sector do you work in? And I think one of the most important things is that you find the, someone who's actually a specialist talking to a specialist, you'll be speaking to somebody with an established network of clients in the particular area that you work with him. And the best way to go out and find a specialist is to, you know, it's, it's going to be very easy for you to spend a bit of time researching Google, having a look on LinkedIn at some of the kind of key groups in your area and finding out the key recruiters that basically specialize in your particular area. The other thing to bear in mind is, you know, you might not have heard of these companies before. A lot of these specialist agencies are are small, one to five man businesses. And that's absolutely fine. You know, a lot of these guys are very good at what they do, very experienced with a great network. So just because you haven't heard of them, they're not a recognized or trusted brand, there's no harm in reaching out to them. I think the second thing is working with a recruiter that you trust you must be able to trust this recruiter with really sensitive information private information that you'll be sharing with them information about you know your salary your aspirations and you need to be able to click with the person because they're going to be walking you through a process that can be you know really difficult Uh, That can be stressful and therefore having someone that's really got your ear is almost as important as having someone who's an expert in your area
1: what do you think is the most effective way for candidates to establish contact with you i know you mentioned this trust issue and also there seems to be this debate out there about in this day and age is email enough is a phone call enough do you prefer that someone meet with you in person what's your perspective on that
0: there's three classic ways that people might contact me one is through a phone call Two, through an email or application to like a job advert, which will come through on an email. And lastly, it's face-to-face. Everyone has their own personal preference. I think what would be helpful for some candidates to realize, maybe let's say in the more junior side of the market, is that recruitment consultants are on the phone quite a lot. And therefore, if you're trying to contact somebody on the phone, it can be frustrating. They might be away from their desk, doing an interview, and there's no harm in sending an email and I always always would advocate starting off a relationship you know just with an email something soft a nice introduction that would include your CV a little bit about you not not a huge covering letter recruiters generally aren't interested in that we want to find out exactly what you want to do so we can make a decision on you know are you the right kind of person for our client base I would advise almost everybody to make sure that you've introduced yourself on the emails as well. If you've got a slightly different background, so for example, I work with a lot of people from retail buying who want to move across to the other side in sales, which is a a move that you can make. It's not obvious, but actually you can, if you're the right kind of character, then I think it's really important to get on the phone or to try and get some face time with your recruiter and, Especially if you are at the more kind of senior end as well, then it's so important to get that face time because you're going to be judged on your technical ability to do the role. But what's more important is are you going to fit into the team? Are you the right culture match? Are you going to be able to enjoy working with a company that might have a very specific kind of personality about it? I suppose the rule of thumb is. Email's great to start off with. And if you can, and especially if it's a slightly more of a tricky, it's not a really obvious match, then a phone call can really or a face to face meeting will really help a recruiter to understand your skill set and how your skill set can fit into their clients' requirements.
1: My understanding is also one of the things you're doing as a recruiter, Ben, is that you're also trying to understand how well they're going to interview in front of their client. Does that mean that there's another benefit? meeting you in person
0: absolutely and the other thing is i i quite often do interview preparation with candidates that i meet so in dg partnership we you know we're a, we're a headhunting agency and we deal with people that haven't gone out and interviewed very often they might have been in their current job for 5 years and if we get a real sense of who they are and really believe in them then we'll absolutely want to help them with classic interview questions with the way that they present themselves, with the, the way that they deliver their answers. And I'll quite often, in a meeting with a candidate, if I think that they're a really good fit, I will always suggest, you know, let's go through some interview prep. Tell me about your best career achievements or when have you had to deal with a difficult team member. Check out how they answer the questions and then try and give them some advice on how perhaps they can improve their delivery.
1: The other question that I hear a lot from people, Ben, is how much follow-up do you want from candidates, especially when they f- first reach out to you? Like do you want them to be following up with you every day, every week, every month? What is a, a good cadence for candidates to have with you? And I I know that obviously that's going to depend on how they do it, but assuming that they do it in a reasonably professional way.
0: It's a really contentious issue. And this is, I think, why the recruitment industry as a whole perhaps it's an easy way to attack the recruitment industry because as a candidate, you really want the follow-up, you want the feedback, and that's really important. And a recruiter should always be able to give people feedback in a timely manner. But the truth is, often we don't get the answers. We will submit an application to a client and we will be following up. please can we have some feedback or how is their interview? And we don't get it. The key issue here is for the recruiter and the candidate to kind of manage each other's expectations here. A candidate may say look I'd love to follow up on my application on Friday. Is that okay? Therefore the recruiter knows they need to get back to that person, you know, by Friday with an update. I don't think it's helpful and I have it quite often sometimes people call me on a two three times a week. It isn't helpful. Uh-huh. <laughs> it wastes everyone's time. And I always try and explain to people I'm working with, the minute I hear back on your application or interview feedback, you know, that's like a high priority thing for me to get that over to you. But there is no point chasing me two, three times a week because I will let you know. Yeah. The other thing that's really important for candidates to do though is to keep an eye on your recruiter's websites because... Very often, we will get a role on, and the first thing I'll, you know, we will do is put it up on the website. If we're very busy, we might not get a time to call all our candidates, or we might not necessarily think of you straight away. And therefore, if you see something come up that fits your background, drop your recruiter an email, give them a quick call, and just say, I saw that role, it looks good for me. And there's no problem in doing that. And in fact, I really recommend doing that, and it will help you get slightly ahead of the curve when they come down to thinking about, right, who am I going to call about this role?
1: So I'd love to shift gears a little bit here, Ben, and also get your perspectives on candidates because I think now might be a good time to remind people that recruiters are actually working for and paid by their clients, not candidates. And so what should candidates keep in mind when it comes to recruiters also being on the end of looking for good candidates for roles?
0: The first place I'll look is my network. And that's the people that I have spoken with and met with. And that is your most powerful tool as a recruiter. Therefore, the people that have managed to build up a relationship with me and and obviously people that I trust, I, I would generally call first. And that's like a number one kind of area. Getting referrals, you know, this is very much a kind of a two way thing. You know, if I speak to somebody and, you know, they're not quite right. People are really willing to help. You know, oh, have you tried, you know, I don't know, John who works over at Johnson Johnson. I hear he's looking. So from a candidate perspective, you know, if you can also reach out to your trusted peers, you know, if you are looking around, there is no harm in looking at your network as well. You know, let, let people that know that you're open and looking, as long as you trust them, then I think that that's quite a good thing. That's probably the first step. I'm quite lucky we advertise on all of the top 10 uk job boards so we get masses of exposure there and normally i will manage to find somebody find extra people for my shortlist my client in my advertising network as well and lastly it goes without saying linkedin is such a powerful tool nowadays i think it's really important that people that are job searching keep your profile up to speed if you're looking Make sure you tick the box there that tells recruiters that you're looking. It makes you much easier to find. Make sure that you've got your most recent job title on there. That's such a powerful tool for people to utilize now.
1: Sounds good. And that feature you're mentioning about LinkedIn, we'll capture that in the show notes about how you can allow recruiters to know that you're actively looking. I got a question about LinkedIn for you, Ben, since we're talking about LinkedIn. What are your views on what candidates should capture on their LinkedIn profile? And I guess I'm specifically wondering about this question that comes up a lot about whether you should simply replicate what's on your CV or your resume and literally cut and paste that onto your LinkedIn profile, assuming that it's, you're not sharing confidential information. Or are you looking for more of a, a summary or does it matter?
0: I personally don't think it actually matters. It's down to you as an individual. I think that Having a really comprehensive LinkedIn profile is great from a recruiter's perspective. It it helps me kind of understand what people do. I can do more research on somebody before I contact them. So it means that I'm given information that will mean people that I choose to contact will be more relevant for what I'm doing. So perhaps by having a little bit more information on there than just something very high level means you might get... Contacted about more relevant job opportunities if that's what you're looking to do. I do also see people that do keep it very top line. On LinkedIn, you have a profile completion measuring tool that will advise you, you know, your profile is 80% complete, for example. And you do come, you're more searchable, your content is more findable if you spend a little bit more time making sure what you've got online is up to date and relevant. I'm a fan of having a more detailed profile, but if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh, you know, I don't I don't have time to do that, having the, the a bare structure up on LinkedIn is better than having nothing at all. So maybe start with something simple and then you can build on it from there.
1: Yeah, can I just pick up on that Ben because I was running this personal branding workshop last week for some senior execs and quite a few of them surprisingly were not on LinkedIn. And I got the question quite a few times about what happens if you're not on LinkedIn. And I guess their rationale was, hey, I don't have time to create a really comprehensive profile that I'm proud of. So I'd rather just not be up there. Is there an issue if you are trying to find somebody online and they're not on LinkedIn? Like, What's your perception as a recruiter of that person if you don't find them on LinkedIn?
0: When I speak to people now on the phone, I think a lot of recruiters do this. I will always go and see if there is a profile for them online. I will go and try and do my own research, you know, if I can find them, especially for senior executives, you can normally find their profile on the company website. I really like to do that. And I'll always give someone the benefit of the doubt, but if I can't find them on LinkedIn, it does make me just question, you know, why? And I can't do as much research as I normally like to do. Now, okay, look, we've got safeguards against that, such as, you know, referencing face-to-face meetings so that we can qualify that person. But it makes it much easier for us if you can find somebody, you know, on LinkedIn and we can see recommendations of team members that have worked with them, of peers that they have perhaps worked with, or even their their bosses. Looking at someone's recommendations on LinkedIn can also be a really powerful message for me as a recruiter or for a hiring manager who wants to find out, you know, what does this person's peers feel about that person? Has their old boss written them a recommendation? Has their old team referenced some work that they've done with them or given an idea about what it's like to work for this person? And if they have, it only adds weight to that person's application. But we do make our own reference checks. We do follow up with face-to-face meetings. So it's not the be all and end all if you don't have a LinkedIn profile, but I think you're missing out on a trick. And if you are an executive and you want to not necessarily market yourself, but improve your online profile, I think LinkedIn is the first place you would go to, to be able to get your profile into the open market and improve your credibility online let's say that you've got candidates
1: and they've all got roughly the same skills. What makes you more likely to present a candidate to a client?
0: When candidates ask the right questions, so when I'll brief them on a particular position, I can often tell how keen they are by the types of questions that they are asking. I can almost tell who's going to get the role by the questions that they ask on our first telephone conversation. People that say, yeah, that sounds great. Send my CV forward. These are the people that you'll get them an interview with 2 weeks later and you need to go through the whole brief again and maybe send them the job description again because they haven't really thought about it a lot of active candidates might have you know several job applications in and they've got to the point where let's just put in a few applications and see what happens and i prefer not to work with people that aren't taking each application really credibly and therefore at that first briefing when i'm talking to you about the role if you are asking me you know exactly where is that location do they have any flexibility on home working what is the you know the whole salary bracket i might be working into who's this role report into how many direct reports do they have people that are asking me these important questions about the role at that early stage the ones that are really thinking about it they're qualifying themselves for it and these people are the ones that um, i'll get a good feeling from early on and i'll I'll always remember and it's amazing how many times i have seen people with the right attitude those kind of candidates will be more successful they end up getting the job over somebody that's better qualified than them nine times out of ten Attitude piece can uh, it can give you the edge. I always look for somebody that shows a real interest in the role, not somebody that just is well qualified and can do the job and says, "Yeah, look, I'll have a chat with them."
1: Okay, now before we move on to talking about some misconceptions of working with recruiters, I did have one more question about just getting your perspectives on candidates. We've all heard this saying that finding a job is easier when you already have a job. I know a lot of the podcast listeners here are thinking about switching jobs or maybe they're between jobs. Do you have any advice for people who are not currently employed when it comes to working effectively with recruiters?
0: It's what you make of it. I've heard that saying, but I've also heard the saying that looking for a job is a full time job in itself. It's full on. There's lots of people to speak to. You need to keep up to speed in all your applications, making sure you're applying to the right roles. So. If you're not currently employed, you're at a huge advantage where you can put loads of preparation into every interview. I have heard that finding a job when you don't have a job can be tricky. And I think there's two main things that you could consider. In response to that and the first thing and the most important thing is to be able to justify you know why you are not in employment at this time and it could be for a whole host of reasons maybe you've been made redundant maybe you quit your job or you change location whatever it might be you need to put together an honest incredible story as to why you're not uh, employed at that moment and there are some stigmas sometimes attached to why you might not be employed. But if it is, for example, a redundancy, just tell the truth, explain the background. There shouldn't be a problem. I think it's really important to be honest, but to be prepared to package up your answer to this question in the right way, in an honest and direct manner.
1: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think sometimes we can be our own worst enemies and we can sometimes self-sabotage and start trying to over-explain something that isn't necessarily an issue for someone else so that's very helpful okay so i just want to shift gears now ben and talk a little bit about just demystifying a couple myths about working with recruiters and just have a couple questions about this and then we can wrap up with a, a few finishing questions here so just wondering when it comes to working well with recruiters what's a common mistake that you see candidates making when they're interacting with recruiters like you
0: i on a weekly basis will come up against people perhaps not telling me the whole truth with regards to salary or their package. That's probably the most common one. People believe if they... Inflate their salary or their package details, then they can get themselves a better package down the line, and it's just the wrong thing to do. It's very obvious to a recruiter because we will cover this off with a candidate maybe three or four times over the course of their interview, and if a salary has been inflated nine times out of ten, it comes out at the end. So I think that <laughs> right. is uh, is really important. Just just be honest and say you know if you're earning fifty grand but your expectations are sixty. Tell the recruiter that. Don't say, I'm on 55 with the expectation I, I want to get up to 60 because it sounds like a more reasonable gap. That's the first thing. And actually, to back that up, Joseph, I had um, it was last year we got a, a job offer for somebody who was very senior in a, almost a director-level position. And this particular candidate had changed the job title on their CV to reflect what they did rather than put their official job title on because they were having problems with people understanding what they did. It was a, quite an unusual role. It got picked up in the referencing stage. And unfortunately, the client withdrew the offer because it was a misrepresentation of what they did. So I think that, that is so important. Number one thing is be honest with your recruiter and with, with your end client about you know, what you do, make sure the dates are right on your CV, these small things. What
1: about something that you just wish more candidates understood about how to work well with recruiters?
0: There has to be some empathy here from the candidates in terms of who pays us. So I think recruiters can get a really hard time in terms of it might be they didn't get back to the person when they said they would, you know, whatever it might be. At the end of the day, you know, we're employed by our clients to find the right fit we're not employed by the candidates to get them a job and therefore i think it would be really good if you know some candidates often we get really pushed to let's say send their cv off to a certain client when we know it's not really right for for either party and i think that it would be really good if just some candidates could appreciate that you know we have to act first and foremost in the client's interests and protect them they're the one that pays the bills
1: Just want to finish up here, Ben, with a few questions on just setting the record straight with some common questions that I hear from people all the time. So we can kind of almost treat these like rapid fire questions. I don't know if you get this question very much, Ben, but I'm getting this question more and more. We're recording this in 2017 and I get a lot of people asking me how effective it is to create these more custom designed CVs that shift away from the traditional one or two page cv depending on where you are geographically the sort of plain text reverse chronological (laughs) formatted cv to the more of a stylized designed do you have any thoughts on that
0: oh absolutely i mean i've seen some amazing cvs there was one that went round fairly recently it was fantastic this uh a designer had created a Super Mario version of his CV, where Mario wow. ran along, and he was you know jumping uh, <laughs> over the hoops and collecting the coins, and it was showing all the different skills that this this chap oh, wow. had. And I think that <laughs> if I was a recruiter for a programming business or a games business, you know, this guy would walk into a job. It was incredible, but you know, you, you got to read the situation <laughs> right. If you send that uh-huh. CV to me for one of my sales or marketing roles, I'm probably not going to call you. You've got to bear in mind who your audience is. Your CV is going to be reviewed by three people, essentially a recruiter, a HR manager, and a hiring manager. And you've got to make sure that your CV is appropriate for the audience that is intended to see it. My personal recommendation, what I like to see, is something that's quite classic, a two-page resume that can give me an understanding of what you do in a short period of time. And then I can make a call as to whether or not, you know, we want to have that interview with you or not. There's definitely a place for some of these more interesting CVs as well. So my feeling is it depends what industry you're in.
1: What about some of the biggest misconceptions you think candidates have about the recruitment industry?
0: One of the ones that we see quite often, you know, people kind of complaining on LinkedIn that we're just out to make a buck, make a fee. Any recruiter that's worth his salt or her salt, it's absolutely not the case. We're out here to protect our clients and we are looking for longevity in these client relationships and the best way of creating that longevity is to find them the best people for that job and actually a good recruiter will forfeit a number of fees if they don't believe that person is right for that job they won't engineer a situation that will get that person the job so i think that that's that's really important we're a sales industry but i think the people that are in it for the long term it's not about the fees. It's about the client satisfaction and relationships. And if you get that right, a byproduct is, yes, you should be able to create revenue for your business.
1: Yeah. I think it goes back to just creating a strong relationship and seeing the recruiter as someone who's a, a partner and not somebody who has any interest in forcing you into a role that's not right for you because it ends up not really serving anybody, not the recruiter, not your client, and also not the candidate. So yeah, it's good advice. What about uh, what surprises you about the type of candidates your clients ultimately end up choosing?
0: Sometimes they do take me by surprise. If a candidate is well qualified but doesn't show that real passion for the role and they're put up against a candidate that's slightly less qualified but really wants it, the candidate with the passion will always get it. Companies are really open to investing in the right people. It's all about getting that right personal fit and you can train the rest of it. That's something that um, surprised me at first. You know, I was thinking, wow, you've got this guy who's super qualified for your role, but you haven't hired him. You've hired this other person who has just shown willing, done more preparation. The other one that we had really recently that I found quite surprising was a candidate that I was working with for a very senior role, uh, marketing director for a really big FMCG company who essentially turned down the offer that we got given for her with our client and the reason was that she couldn't get the mortgage to work on the back of the financials and she was good enough to say look you've been really good to me i really want to join your business but i cannot accept your offer because x y and and z reason and we had backup plans for this particular client but her readiness to share this really deep and there's some other personal circumstances as well, meant that instead of going back to market, which would have been a a more cost effective thing for the client to do, they bent over backwards, they escalated it several levels to actually get the correct financials in place for this person to get the role. And I was surprised at the length the client went to, to secure this person. And I think it was through the transparency and the levels in, of integrity that she had shown in approaching this really sensitive kind of issue. And therefore, the client was willing to go the extra mile. It shocked me, to be honest. I was, I was really surprised.
1: Very interesting stuff, Ben. Just wanted to close by just asking if you have any final advice you would like to offer to candidates who want to build strong recruiter relationships, and then we'll wrap up by just talking a little bit more about your work at eCruit.
0: If I look back at the people that have built the strongest relationships with me, it's definitely a quid pro quo type of relationship. So I'll give you an example, Joseph. I remember when uh, you called me back in, when was it? 2008, 2009? and you Oh, yeah. On- it arrived in the UK, yeah. And, I just moved uh, to the UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you uh called me. Um, you'd seen an advert that we for a role we've been recruiting for, and it was great. You called me, you positioned yourself in the right way, which was someone that perhaps didn't have the UK market knowledge, but someone that was really eager and had a great skill set to offer the client. We arranged a coffee and well, the rest is history. You know? Yeah, we found you. We found you a really good role, yep. and then you came back to me, and you asked me to help recruit for your team. And yep. and I think that the most important thing is when you find your recruiter that works for you, definitely stick with them. It's a relationship that can last over the course of a lifetime, and. The best thing a recruiter can ever get, you know, if you can give them a recommendation on something on LinkedIn or, or you can even reach out to them with a piece of business if, if they've done well and you're now a hiring manager, something like that can really make a candidate stand out from the thousands of other people that we have to deal with day in, day out. And I think you'll find most recruiters will, will work really hard to develop good relationships and give far more back than the perhaps the more transactions that you would expect between a candidate and a recruiter.
1: Yeah, very helpful. That's uh, really useful to hear. And I definitely do remember that first meeting we had when I just landed here in London. It was, you, were one actually, you were actually one of the first people I met when I, when I landed <laughs> in this country. So I remember that very well. Okay. Well, very helpful, Ben. I want to just wrap up by talking about your current business, which is called eCruit, which I know you just launched. Can you just wrap us up by telling us a little bit more about eCruit and uh, they won't we'll be done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've um, run my own recruitment company for uh, ten years, and recruitment's a great industry. There's been huge amounts of pressure from clients over, you know, things like fees, and there's been huge amounts of technological advances that have allowed clients to adopt direct hire strategies and and cut the recruiter out. And that's fine. You know, that is just um, part of the market. And. Whilst I think there'll always be a place for good headhunters, the gap in the market that we saw was that actually, you know, all of our clients were these kind of big global corporate businesses that were looking to hire, you know, tons of people and they they were putting pressure on the margins. But there was a huge gap in the market for these kind of SME businesses that are trying to hire salespeople or grow their marketing or sales teams, but don't have the budgets that maybe a big kind of corporate did. So the New business that we launched a couple of months ago allows these smes to recruit you know really good caliber salespeople for about ninety percent of the price of using a traditional recruitment agency oh wow um yeah it's it's, it's it's really exciting and it was actually the concept sounds really good, but it was actually quite easy to put together because there's been if we just combined some technological advances for example like you know linkedin and advertising networks with social media and it's allowed us to create almost like a community of like-minded people salespeople, marketing people that we can reach out to really easily on behalf of you know hiring managers and connect these hiring managers to people that can do their jobs that's what i've been up to over the last but well, i suppose it's taken a year to put together but uh, it's been really exciting
1: well, if people want to learn more about eCruit, especially people who may want to actually tap into the service, where can they go to learn more about eCroot and learn more about you?
0: We'd love people to join our LinkedIn group. Just look up eCruit, or you can go to our website, www.ecruit.co.uk And we've got all sorts of lovely little articles there, free articles that can explain to particularly hiring managers how they can interview more effectively, how they can add to their teams, how they can recruit directly without, you know, necessarily spending a lot of money. Yeah, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge to you, even if you're not a hiring manager and you you're thinking you might be one day.
1: Well, fantastic, Ben. Well you are definitely one of those recruiters who's had a huge impact on my career, especially here in the UK. So just wanted to personally thank you for that. And also wanted to thank you for sharing such practical advice with us today and also reminding us of the importance of integrity throughout the process, which I'm sure many people will find useful, especially if they're trying to make a major shift in their careers.
0: Thank you, Joseph.
1: So I hope you enjoyed hearing Ben's thoughts on how to work well with recruiters, a few misconceptions about the industry, and what it takes to stand out as a candidate. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll address a listener question about how to make a tweak to your career to improve your professional happiness. Before we get to today's mental fuel, I just wanted to thank General Assembly for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. General Assembly is a pioneer in education and career transformation, specializing in today's most in-demand skills. A leading source for training, staffing, and career transitions, they foster a flourishing community of professionals pursuing careers they love. Visit ga.co to learn how General Assembly can boost your career, and use promo code Relaunch for 20% off your first class or workshop. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I normally finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. For today's Mental Fuel, I want to address this question from Nicholas, a listener in San Francisco, which I think is relevant to this topic of recruitment. Hey, Joseph, what's going on? Nicholas here, huge fan of your work and your podcast. You've helped me recognize what is most important to my happiness, both personally and professionally, and it's been life-changing, so please do keep up the good work. Uh, My question today, it's around one of the myths you've discussed when it comes to career change, the one where an individual thinks that the only solution is a drastic one. In the past, you've described how sometimes all you need is a small tweak to help you find your career happiness. Can you describe what that tweak might look like for those of us who are aspiring to change their careers? Thanks so much and keep up what you are doing. I know so many people are benefiting from it. Well, Nicholas, thanks so much for your positive feedback, and I'm so happy to hear you're enjoying the podcast, and thanks for your question. So, yeah, I definitely feel like sometimes, and I'm guilty of this myself, you might think if you're not happy in your career, you've got to change everything. Like you've got to move to a new company and change your role and switch industries, and while you're at it, maybe move across the country and start a new life in a new city. And I think sometimes people feel this way because you can reach a point where you're so unhappy and you feel like you've already been trying to make the most of what you have and you've tried to like your job, but it's just not working. So I think there can be this temptation and desire to create a clean slate and have a completely fresh start. But I'm going to refer you to a concept I heard first about from Tony Robbins about how if you think about the game of golf, just turning your club a tiny millimeter can end up sending the golf ball in a completely different direction. Or another analogy could be a huge ocean liner where turning just one degree can make that ship end up in a completely different destination. And I think it's similar in your career. And this is also something we talked about way back in episode 19 with Adrian granzella Larson, who told us about how she made a series of successive tweaks to her career to eventually get where she wanted to go. So to answer your question, here are three examples of tweaks you could make. One, you could jump onto a different project. So just to share an example from my own career, back when I was working in consulting, I became interested in branding. So I ended up first expressing an interest in corporate branding, then getting sign off from my manager to get involved with these projects in the company. And I still spent the majority of my time doing consulting work, but even being able to spend a minority of my time doing work I was really passionate about made all the difference, and eventually planted the seeds to my career in marketing. Another tweak could be keeping your role, industry, function, and geography the same, but just switching companies. That can be enough to radically change your day-to-day experience. So to give you another example, I was working in the luxury desserts industry in a brand management role within the marketing function at a startup company in London, and starting to feel like it wasn't working for me. So I switched to a bigger company, still in London, still in luxury desserts, still in brand management, and still within marketing and that company shift was enough at least for a while to make me happier with my day-to-day professional life finally and this one's not always easy to pull off but you could try to shift within your company to a different team this isn't always within your control and you've got to consider the politics of this but sometimes just working with a different manager can make all the difference that could mean riding things out until you get a different manager or if your company's big enough, proactively lobbying to work on a team with a manager you really admire. I've done that myself a couple times in my career and it can make a big difference. You've got to approach this delicately, but it can be done. So I hope that gives you some ideas, Nicholas, and I hope you found that useful. I'll also just leave you with a relevant quote from Matt Bevan. While it may seem small, the ripple effects of small things is extraordinary. So if something hasn't been working for you in your career, whether it's related to your role or perhaps related to your job recruitment efforts, try to see if a small tweak can make a difference. In the case of recruitment, if you're feeling stuck, maybe it could mean working with a different recruiter or using something you heard today from Ben to change the approach you have been taking with an existing recruiter you work with. What's one tweak you think you could at least try to make this week to get yourself into a better situation with something in your career? Before we wrap up, I just wanted to let you know about the latest online course I just launched on Mastering Your Elevator Pitch. In both my own career and from working with a lot of clients on pitching their professional stories, I've seen how the ability to create a solid first impression with a recruiter or hiring manager can make a huge difference to your hiring prospects. So in the course, I share simple frameworks to help you explain your current situation, your goals, and your professional history in a way that's concise, convincing, and memorable to help you land your dream role. The course is normally $200, but I've created a special launch deal for my podcast listeners where you can get lifetime access to the course for $59 if you're one of the first 50 listeners who signs up before October 15th. Just go to careerrelaunch.net slash elevator pitch before October 15th when this offer ends, and you'll get the course for $59 instead of $200. Now, this course is very similar to the live workshops I regularly host, and these principles I share are the same ones that have helped me land several dream jobs over the years during my own career. So I genuinely believe you'll find it to be extremely useful, especially if you're someone who struggles to pitch your story to employers, hiring managers, or recruiters. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash elevator pitch. If you have any questions about that course or a follow-up question about how to work with recruiters, you want to ask me or Ben, be sure to leave a comment or voicemail at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 27, where you can also find a summary of notes from today's episode and a link to a written summary of a live interview I did with Ben a couple years ago on the secrets to working well with recruiters. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash episode 27. Thanks so much for being a part of this career relaunch community and a special thanks again to Ben DeGrucci for sharing his insights on the world of recruitment with us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.